The Minor Constellations Podcast. Conversations with engaged thinkers and doers. I'm Kathleen Sampson. And I'm Yaratia. And we're doctoral fellows at the research training group Minor Cosmopolitanisms, which hosts this podcast. In this final episode of the first season of the Minor Constellations podcast, we talk to Professor Elahi Hashemi Yekani about her joint transdisciplinary project, Revisualizing Intersectionality, a collaboration with Magdalena Novica and Tiara Roxanne, the book of which is forthcoming this year. The conversation centers on her chapter titled The Ends of Visibility, in which she interrogates the limits of identity categories in intersectional frameworks by specifically focusing on visuality. In doing so, she draws on discussions from postcolonial and decolonial theory to offer a critique of representation and intersectionality via readings from visual culture that offer, as she puts it, modes of seeing and being differently. Thank you, Elahi, um, for joining us in our last conversation uh, of the season of the Minor Constellations podcast. And we wanted to talk to you about your current project, uh, Revisualizing Intersectionality, which has been underway for a few years and the book of which is forthcoming this year, right? Um, we also heard you, heard you and enjoyed uh, your talk at the GAPS uh, Graduate Conference in October last year, uh, where you presented the paper, The Ends of Visibility, uh, which we will be focusing on today. We are particularly interested in how, through this theoretical or heuristic approach of revisualizing intersectionality, you also complicate the rigid binary concepts that are used in theory, but also in politics or in political practice. And also you are critical or have some skepticism regarding how identity politics can rely on and reproduce fixed categories of identity. And as a result of that can lead to a kind of intersectional practice that relies on surface level diversity, as you call it. Um, so before we will jump in and talk about all those things, we will begin with trying to explore together your methodology of working or thinking in a transdisciplinary way and how that helps in uh, pursuing those questions. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's, um, you know, it's my pleasure to talk about um, the project. I'll say a little bit more about who's involved in the project, um, maybe in the course of the conversation, but to you know, pick up on this question of transdisciplinarity. Um, I think it's really interesting that transdisciplinarity is sort of so often used as a kind of buzzword. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the biggest challenges or question is whether you can be transdisciplinary on your own. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, you know, many of us who work in the wider field of cultural studies combine different approaches and methods. So, you know, I personally work um, Uh, in literary studies, um, as well as in visual media, um, and that from the 18th century to now. So I've often been confronted with the challenge that on the one hand, you know, queer theory and postcolonial studies teaches us to challenge binary and essentialized categories um, or understandings of categories like race and gender. Um, And yet, and especially in a version sort of of intersectionality that focuses on intersecting identity categories mm. um, rather than on insect, intersecting modes of, um, of oppression, we, we reproduce this sort of fixed um, 
notion of categories, right? And um, I think there is sort of, again, there is a diff there's an important difference here between um, understanding intersectionality as inter an intersecting of identity categories or an intersecting of modes of oppression. Um, and that's really sort of something that I feel we've tried to come back to in um, this transdisciplinary um, interrogation of intersectionality by focusing specifically on um, visuality. So, I mean, not just for this project, but in general, I feel I've always really profited from working together with other colleagues. And we also, you know, I tried different ways of sort of, you know, challenging myself also by, you know, incorporating other people's perspectives. Um, and so, you know, this co-writing of um, materials or even, you know, like, like here, having conversations, recording conversations, taking um, such ideas as a starting off point, that's really quite important. And um, for our project also bringing in um, um, artists and, and, you know, people who work from a different point of view. So, yeah, I think definitely sort of one of the ideas was to challenge ourselves and also consider maybe more creative ways of challenging the, the categories of inquiry um, that we use. Yeah, that's that's so interesting that you're mentioning now um, this, how, you know, working in a transdisciplinary way is something that you really have to do within a community and in relation to other thinkers, practitioners around you and sort of kind of like think in community. And um, you've spoken that you've hinted a little bit about how this project came to become the book that will be coming out. And maybe that's not necessarily the end point. I don't know if we'd like to think in that kind of <laughs> linear way. But um, I, I would like to just ask, you know, a little bit more specifically about the project revising or revisualizing intersectionality. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how it emerged and the processes through which it evolved? Yeah, so we started in 2019 and the research um, that made the sort of the forthcoming book possible and, and the book is going gonna, is gonna to be called Revisualizing Intersectionality. But as you hint at, it has this kind of dual play on revising and revisualizing in the title. Um, and this kind of research, it was actually um, made possible through a grant that um, uh, I had together with sort of, uh, uh, my colleague Magdalena Nowitzka, who's a sociologist and who works on migration um, research at the DETSIM here in Berlin. Mm. Um, and this initiative that, that we applied for is, is, is called Originalitätsverdacht in German. So I mean, the English translation is original, <laughs> isn't it? But we really like the Verdacht part of the title. This is why we applied for it, is um, that this kind of funding was sort of explicitly intended to, on the one hand, support transdisciplinary uh, collaborative research. And, and that was really interesting because I come more from a cultural studies perspective and Magdalena from the sociological perspective. Mm. And it's it's really interesting to see how sort of both these traditions work with intersectionality in different ways. Um, but so, but the other part, so the Verdachts part of the title, the suspicion or a hunch um, something, mm. you know, they really invite you in this format um, to to speculate and i think that was really something that that drew us to this and so um yeah the funding gave us um time and space and i guess sort of if we're thinking about 
transdisciplinarity, um, it often takes more time to to develop projects like these, yeah, because you have right. different viewpoints. You have, first of all have to understand what the other person um, is saying, where they're coming from. It's not always um, so straightforward. And I also don't want to romanticize this. There's also sort of parts of it that involve, you know, maybe not understanding um, the other person's approach to a problem, or maybe even being more confident why you chose the disciplinary path you did. So I think that can also be a part of <laughs> yeah. this transdisciplinary dialogue, right? So it's not just this, um, you know, this ideal version where we all come out and, and you know, are, are these new scholars. We might even, you know, there might be part of it that, you know, again, as I say, makes you more confident in, in, in the kinds of um, disciplinary traditions um, that you've been trained in. So with, again, as I said, with the project, we, you know, we started off with, you know, what you do, you have joint readings, you have discussion, we, uh, we also invited um, more junior scholars, also more sort of more prominent people in the field to come and discuss with us. We also try to bring in, of course, visual materials into these um, conversations. And then, you know, when it came to putting this in a book format, we were really quite clear that this wasn't going to be like a unanimous or an authoritative perspective on you know how to do research on visuality and mm -hmm. intersectionality and so you know as, as i've already hinted at there's also sort of a spectrum maybe of different and at times also conflicting views that again as i say i feel is quite normal for right. transdisciplinary book and um yeah so i just also want to mention that then sort of in terms of the process um, we, we were really quite fortunate, had the great privilege to work with several um, colleagues and artists in a format that we called Conversations. Um, and that took place in Berlin at the Dezim Institute, um, as well as in the Südblock venue in Berlin. And um, that took place, luckily for us, pre-COVID in, in 2019. And um, that program was curated by Tiara Roxanne, who's an academic and artist who specializes in performance and artif artificial intelligence. And she co um, collaborated with us from the inception of the project and then also in the book. So her contribution to the book, which is sort of um, a, a somewhat shorter um, chapter that sits between the two longer chapters from the sort of more sociological and cultural studies perspective also reflects on the um, on the performances that we had and and again the art the artist talks that we had um, and so that's also um, going to be reflected in the in the layout and and in the sort of um, publication that is coming out so yeah, so 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 it, so in many ways, again, as I say, it's, it's, I, th I think it's a project that was really interested in sort of multiple and also open-ended inroads into this sort of transdisciplinary idea around revisualizing intersectionality. It sounds very exciting, but uh, also uh, challenging, I guess. And you were mentioning mainly the question about the different disciplines, right? But there's a another element, and that is also the kind of intellectual or political discomfort that the project was seeking to challenge or try to to begin from those kind of challenges and questions i mean one thing that's really interesting and and is that intersectionality also has become this this almost sort of um ubiquitous sort of word that that's that you can find anywhere you know the feminism is intersectional intersectional you know by, you know and so forth and so it becomes almost this kind of pop cultural 
term that that signals certain things. But I feel like as someone who's been engaging with uh, intersectional theory for quite some time, it's not always entirely clear how the term um, has been used, um, right? So Jennifer Nash has this uh, book on black feminism after intersectionality. And it's really sort of this question almost as if who owns this term, who owns this concept? What does this concept actually mean at this stage? And so I think with this project, we also, you know, revisited a lot of those debates um, and, um, you know, tried to answer or to, to respond to, to these numerous debates around how categories are employed in intersectionality research um and and again you know with the revising we're not we don't want to get rid of intersectionality we think you know it's the other way around it's one of the richest um traditions in feminist uh thinking um that we have you know access today And, and and i think part of this is also that itself it has become this incredibly rich and diverse academic transdisciplinary field. So I was always drawn to it as a literary and cultural studies scholar. Um, But I was also struggling with, you know, if I look at, you know, the Anglophone novel in the 18th century, and I want to look at this intersectionally, what does that even mean? And I, I, I also, I always, you know, noted that I have to not start from the categories of race and gender and then see how they interact. I, I actually always had to figure out what does race and gender mean in the particular context that I'm working in with. And so I think this is exactly this question, intersectionality, whether we, is sort of the category categories that we're using or whether we're trying to explain how the categories come into being and how they produce um, these often discriminatory effects. And that's, I think, um, you know, where where I also think, you know, the tradition of intersectionality as an academic knowledge production sort of comes in. But we should also, of course, acknowledge that there is this this overlap between activist work and, um, you know, black radical thought and especially black women and women of color have been sort of very crucial in establishing um, this this term as some as a term or as a, um, you know, as a field of thinking in academia. Um, But, um, you know, as I was saying, the term intersectionality now also pops up, pops up, unfortunately, in quite a sort of reductive and additive manner. And that's, you know, especially in these more maybe mainstream conversations when people want to brandish sort of so-called cancel culture. Um, And then it becomes problematic, especially when we, you know, when we fetishize individual bodies as incorporating one or two, three forms of marginalized um, identities. And then we come to this sort of almost competition-like notion Mm -hmm. of sort of, um, you know, comparing different degrees of marginalization. And that is, again, this is sort of this additive understanding um, that, you know, theorists like Kimberly Crenshaw did not, you know, did not talk about when they were initially um, writing about intersectionality. So, yeah, I think intersectionality originally was was really helpful in understanding that, you know, for people who are multiply marginalized, different modes of oppression, so racism and sexism intersect. But 
it that doesn't mean that you know to to bring in the famous example of the the woman of color or the black woman who experiences both these types of marginalization that she can neatly sort of distinguish this and it's it's exactly sort of this question you know again you know some of the examples that we're talking about is for instance how black women are constantly sort of misgendered or they, or fem, you know our ideals of femininity are already so much informed by whiteness that black women are already sort of marginalized within our understanding of femininity right and so that for me is not an additive understanding of how race and gender intersect so again it's not something where you could say um you know i take race and then i add gender but it is sort of this question of there is a particular experience of sexism that is, is sort of that is different for for women who are also racialized if, if that makes sense and that for me is sort of a slightly sort of again where i would put the focus on the mode of oppression rather than on the identity so as i was trying to explain with the example of of sort of the you know employing this in regards to sort of an earlier historical period i think from a cultural studies perspective temporality locality affect appear absolutely central to me to to problematize this um and yeah so so again i don't think this is something that is that is not present in intersectionality research but it just becomes um something that is maybe easily sidelined in the sort of more 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 popular discourses around how the term circulates. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned temporality, locality, affect, um, and you said that these are concepts that cultural studies works with in interesting ways. Are those also concepts um, with which you approach thinking about re-visualizing re and representation with regard to intersectionality? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, part of my, my own sort of transdisciplinary interrogation of these sort of different concepts comes from um, queer theory, from post-colonial studies that, mm -hmm. again, I would understand as um, modes of thinking that that do have an, an understanding of, um, you know, modes of oppression as intersectional, but they, they don't always necessarily use the term. And I think that's something that maybe as a cultural studies scholar, I'm, um, you know, I'm more confident in bringing this in. So, you know, just mm. to, to give you an example, also to maybe bring in this element of visuality, if we're looking, you know, back at traditions such as the new queer cinema of the 1990s, mm. there was a big interest in sort of supposedly bad representation, right? This mm. question of being also open to, to negative affects, to understand what does that mean and to not just sort of link representation in this very linear positive positivistic almost right. way right it is this notion of saying you know again so often this this question where people say representation matters and you know it does but yeah but it's not it's not it's not this notion of saying okay let's just have all these positive images about happy happy queer people and that gives us sort of a, a better understanding of you know or this will lead to more you know a sort kind of, of utopia yeah yeah exactly so that i think that's that's something where i would say sort of the the, the effective dimension um is really really important um I mean, to, to sort of take it up from, from a different angle, one that I also um, talk a little bit more about in, in, in the chapter is this question also of trans representation that I think has been really central in the last um, 10 years or so, right? Where we do see there is, you know, um, 
an, an increase in media representation, um, but we also see that there is still so many modes of surveillance that actually reinforce the vulnerability of trans people. So um, I would say that, you know, or I would highlight that trans activists have been really quite critical of how there's now sort of this celebration of more visible trans media representation, um, I mean, specifically in the US context, and too little engagement with the lived realities of trans people. And so, you know, I would I would definitely um, point people um, to the, to the um, collection Trapdoor, Transcultural Production and the Politics of Visibility, um, which was edited by Tourmaline, Eric A. Stanley and Johanna Burton. And, you know, and they, they ask, I think quite, quite rightly, um, you know, whether visibility is a goal to be worked toward or an outcome to be avoided at all costs, right? So there is also this question again of visibility as media representation or hypervisibility and and sort of being mm. being the subject um, um, of surveillance potentially right so I think we really have to be um, quite critical um, or in the book we also sort of go on this uh, along this line of um, of highlighting this that we have to critically interrogate the social processes of what can be called visuality um, rather than only highlight the benefits of visual representation. So, so again, I would say the, the cultural studies expertise may be on these more complex questions of cultural representation and visuality, I think can really add to, the, to some of the debates in intersectionality. And, and that's why you're focusing on not only revising, which is the, 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 the wish to keep intersectionality, but the revisualizing. So the idea of visibility and sight. Um, you mentioned very many interesting things now, but also before uh, you were talking about um, the fetishization of marginalized bodies that can also um, take place as part of the, the need or the wish to representation, right? And in that sense, you also, in the article, give an example of a practice uh, from which we can learn of post-Black art. So can you maybe explain the ways in which, um, first of all, bodies may be fetishized in the need to represent or in the need for representation and visibility, and how this art can resist mm -hmm. this fetishization? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think sort of there is sort of this additive problem almost again, right? In the sense that you know even if you look at um, these visual signifiers, we, we there is a there is a you know a strong impulse maybe for people to um, you know visualize a body and to visualize a body that that ideally incorporates as many marginal features as possible, and all of those should be immediately visible to the mm -hmm. eye, and that is a really right. sort of problematic aspect. It's also you know something that people are quite critical in relation to sort of a, a marketing of diversity, right? So if you have, you know, visual representations and you have sort of a, a kind of a tokenistic inclusion of um, uh, black and people of color in sort of, you know, I don't know, in a marketing brochure, right? And, and, mm -hmm. and I think, you know, this would for me not constitute a, a um, you know, a visual representation of intersectionality. And so what we do see is that, you know, and this was also something that we really learned in this, in this project or that we also set out to do is to 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 see what kinds of strategies artists have developed and so the one um that yael was just mentioning this post-black art is, is is really interesting and um in the chapter i'm 
I'm discussing an example um, with the reference to, to Nana Aduse Poku's work that I would also very strongly recommend her sort of her books just out on um, the topic. And she provides um, a reading of Mark Bradford's artwork that uses abstract rather than figural means to reflect blackness, right? So sort of as a painter, as a as a as an artist, um, he very clearly you know, chose a means that does not depict a body, right? And this is, I think, something um, that that we can see. Um, but nonetheless, he uses a way to to reference practices like the, the, the end papers that are used in, in sort of black hair salons. So it actually looks like a monochromatic grid, the, the, the painting by him, if you look at it. Um, but if you start sort of a reading of the of the work, you can very clearly also relate it to race, to racialization. If, would you say that projects like uh, Sadia Hartman reading of of, uh, of photography in a different ways or kind of fading the photograph so you cannot really see it, but rather narrating the photograph, would that also be part of like a revisualizing in the way that you see it? Absolutely. I think we are very, you know, I think all of these, these would be for me would be sort of critical and also creative ways of interrogating materials. So again, a lot of, um, you know, artists that we that we look at, they, you know, engage with problematic imagery and come up with sort of different reimaginations of those. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, this is sort of almost sort of a follow up for, for a new project that I'm also involved in that is quite interested in, uh, you know, re what we call reimagining um, the archive. So I guess sort of this, I, I'm really um, drawn to these creative challenges to how we think about you know, forms of oppression, but then also the, these creative responses. So the, the revisualizing um, is also um, an invitation to um, consider more creative and different forms of seeing. Um, and I think that's really interesting. I would also, you know, um, again, highlight, and, and we're trying to discuss this also in the book, um, theorists of trans cinema and trans artists are also looking at ways to describe um, you know, the need to, to, to trans as a verb, to trans the image repertoire, um, which again, for me would be a, a different way of sort of challenging the normative scripts, the normative visual representation. So, um, you know, in trans cinema, we increasingly see people are very um, reluctant to fetishize a naked body or the you know the so-called reveal shot of a body just to talk about trans experience right? Mm -hmm. um, right and so this is again an example where where i would say um visual artists um are developing means that again as i say sort of put the burden of representation on the othered body right and it's mm -hmm. more right. about interrogating um the, the, the normative viewing conventions in these artworks that then, and that's, I think, something that would be important for a, a revisualizing of intersectionality. I'd love to just take you up where you left off there, this, this question of, um, um, how did you put it, normative, uh, normative visual, visual conceptions, yeah. was that mm -hmm. it? Um, and because, I mean, obviously this, this brings us really to the question that's maybe at the heart of the project, which is what revisualizing can mean and what alternative ways of seeing that might emerge 
um, or this this idea that you're suggesting might might kind of produce. And and I'm wondering if this if I can sort of like bring us back to where we began our discussion in thinking about um, working in relation or thinking in community. If this alternative mode of seeing or revisualizing is something that emerges in relation also. Um, yeah, if you could just talk a little bit about that to kind of conclude our discussion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I, I love this idea of relationality. And I think that's just such an important idea that we also see that, you know, an understanding of what racialization means, it's, you know, is always something that happens in relation to other bodies, right? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing that we were also quite clear about is that the project was not suggesting that we should, that we should or even can sort of naively unsee somatic differences, right? And and Magdalena was quite interested in the really sort of in the cognitive and psychological processes of categorizing and how people, you know, um, um, yeah, sort of come to see difference, right? Or interpret mm. difference. And so it's not, you know, we're we not um, suggesting an, a naive colorblindness. In fact, I'm quite critical of this discourse and, you know, a lot of critics have also done so in relation to, to specifically, you know, uh, U.S. American discourses around that. So, um, again, we're not saying you need to unsee difference to, you know, move past uh, questions of difference. But um, what we do, you know, what we did find out is that, you know, we should and, you know, and we, we constantly are put in positions where we can challenge these established modes of seeing and being, you know, also being the speculative idea of being open to surprise is quite important. So, um, again, I would say it's really important that we don't reduce intersectionality to the question of different bodies, but also come back to the question, the original idea of building a more equitable society. So, you know, I also try to um, pick up on questions of accessibility and safety mm. in public space. And here, I think, again, this question of relationality plays right. a role. Um, and, um, you know, there are sometimes these sort of spectacular visual markers. So you could also think about this debate around signage for, you know, all, all gender inclusive restrooms. But um, again, I would say that th this is sort of almost like a red herring and it becomes such a reductive visual marker mm -hmm. to, to, to a much larger conversation that we should be having around accessibility, around sort of um, building more inclusive environments that, that are not to do with sort of, ha you know, having sticker for, for, for different types of genders on the doors. Mm -hmm. that, that's, you know, that, that can be part of it, but that's not the main question. So again, one, I would sort of call sort of more a, a surface for of diversity and the other question would be one where we're more interested in you know this the modes of being so i play around a little bit with sort of these phrases um of modes of seeing and modes of being and and and, and both of them i think are quite relational so maybe just you know, as, as a final point that I also want, want to highlight, I mean, that doesn't mean that we, we sort of want to reduce artistic practice to this didactic, you know, right. teaching tool. It's, it's not that, right? Um, I think 
but there is something that I would say that specifically underserved communities have always been drawn to creating their own imaginaries, right? And this is a visual mm. metaphor and um, it can include visual representation, but also, you know, notions of the brown commons um, that, you know, Jose Munoz writes about quite beautifully. And this is maybe sort of the utopian um, part that, that Kathleen was also mentioning at some point, right? And so, I guess sort of just personally, that is also what draws me to queer art and theory more generally. And, and it's also why I, I think, you know, in queer theory, I think we're also quite used to to emphasizing this interrelation between art and theory and not see one as separate from the other. Also in terms of, you know, right. a more activist understanding of art to really see how these things um, go together. So identity and representation, but also acknowledging sort of this temporality in the sense of, you know, connections can also be ephemeral. They don't have to mm -hmm. be stable. They don't have to be right. um, the same for everyone at the same time, right? So it's, it's again, I think it's not a question of sort of power evasiveness of saying everything is fluid and everything is changing, but it is, you know, something that queer theory, I think, um, can add to the conversation on, mm. on how we think about um, intersectionality. So, so yeah, this is, I guess, for me, the, 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 the sort of takeaway of why I wanted to combine these different mm -hmm. perspectives. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was great fun. And also, you know, thank you for having me and giving me the opportunity to, to sort of sh shamelessly sort of um, promote this new project and talk about the project. It was, you know, great fun doing this. Thank you again for joining us, Elahi. To listeners, do check out our website for more information, links, and references. You can find us at minor.hypotheses.org forward slash podcast. Thank you for joining us this season and stay tuned for more.